Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What happens when things don't go according to that perfect plan for our children? Our guest today is a complex care pediatrician. Stay tuned. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com. Thanks for being here, and thanks for supporting our sponsors. As parents, we want things to go according to plan for our children, that they're healthy and they're meeting every developmental milestone, But what happens when things don't go according to that perfect plan? What happens when your child is diagnosed with asthma or ADHD or depression or has developmental delays? And what happens when parents become caregivers for a medically fragile child? Our guest today is mom of two, a nine-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl and she is a complex care pediatrician. She was inspired to become a doctor because of her own experience of surviving childhood cancer. She is the author of a new book, Advanced Parenting, How to Help Kids Through Diagnoses, Differences, and Mental Health Challenges. And she also hosts the Advanced Parenting podcast series. Welcome, Dr. Kelly Fraden. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to have you here. And of course, always, I'm always curious about what happened to cause you to write this book. And and we already know that your childhood cancer kind of led you down the medical path. So let's kind of start there with your childhood story. I saw firsthand as a kid growing up, the toll that my diagnosis took on my parents, on their physical health, their mental health, their marriage, their job. Even when parents do their best, children can kind of see everything in these regards. And so perhaps because of that, I was aware um, as a pediatrician for everything that parents face on integrating their children's challenges with their home life and everything else on their plate. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was always seeing parents sort of leave my office looking um, wide-eyed, like, what am I going to do now? And I wanted to provide them with just kind of more guidance than they had about how how to approach these sort of challenges and how to cope with the stress and make a plan. It's hard enough to be a parent in the United States when there's, you know, we don't have leave policies, we don't have a robust support. Many of us really don't have the childcare we need, the work-life balance that we need. And then you add in anything outside of the typical, and it just complicates things so much more. And of course, you know, you don't get a class in um, parenting an ill child when you go to the hospital and, or have a baby at home, like nobody fills you in on this stuff. Yes. And parents are often doing this complex calculus of like, I know my child might really need speech therapy, but 
but it's expensive and and who's going to take him and how am I going to make dinner and and when am I, how am I going to take off work it becomes just a part of the the medical decision making process all of your life mm-hmm. and you're the only one that can figure that part out so we have to help them I yeah. love first of all that as a physician and likely because of your personal family experience but you are so aware of and cognizant of that because physicians are totally overworked as well. This all applies to you. So, so often, so many of us feel like, okay, well, yeah, that all sounds great, but how the heck am I supposed to make any of this happen in my real life if I have other children at home who have to do X, Y, or Z? Yes. And I think there's sort of this narrative, whether parents are interacting with experts at the school or at the doctor's office, they're being told that something, they should do something for their child. But, you know, they assume there's like an urgency to it and and they assume that they can't say no because their child needs this. But sometimes speaking up about things that are difficult for you or speaking up about how maybe you can't prioritize that right now, but you could do it later can lead Mm. to some discussions that are really helpful. Jen is a nurse, so she's been on the other side of the medical world. I have not. So I've been on only the side of the parent. And just what you said of, oh my gosh, an expert, quote unquote, if it's the school counselor or the school nurse, what whoever it is, they're telling me this has to happen and it has to happen now. So what I hear you saying is ask questions. And step back a little bit, which is super hard to do when you are the deer in the headlights leaving the office going and your head is spinning. And maybe the first thing you're going to do is go home and Google whatever has been talked about. I think we're trained to, of course, trust the medical professionals that maybe makes our voice a little bit quieter because we have to, we have to do what they say. So I love the idea of being a team, of course, but I think there's still that place of, if they said I need it, if they say my child needs it, I got to figure out how to make it happen, which is super stressful. Yes. But once you ask the question, you, you get more information too, because it's quite possible, you know, that uh, say the teacher recommends speech therapy, which maybe, maybe a teacher has recommended speech therapy for one of my kids. And and then you're able to- One of mine as well, Kelly. One of mine as well. (laughs) you're able to say are you seeing him get frustrated or hesitate to communicate in class discussions is this really you know impacting his day-to-day education in which case if it is it's got to go up on the urgency for me I don't want his self-esteem or his participation to be impacted but if it's more the teacher may say no it's just something that I've noticed and it might be a nuisance that you address when you get a chance to deal with it then we're all like level set about the fact that it may have to wait six months before I figure out how to incorporate it in the schedule. That's a really good point because for any diagnosis suggestion, right, there's often a range. And so having those conversations can kind of help you uh, figure out how seriously do I need to take this? Yes, it's serious. We wouldn't be having this conversation, you know, if there wasn't an issue, but there are things where I have to act right now And there are things where, as you said, maybe it can wait six months and it would be absolutely fine. I'm curious now, is that sort of the case that's going on with speech therapy with one of your kiddos? You know, we may be in the watchful waiting period of the speech therapy assessment, (laughs) which I feel comfortable with. Right. But, you know, actually, as a doctor, this can apply um, to other things, too. Like, 
sometimes kids come and they have a lot of ear infections and they say, maybe it's time to see ENT. And sometimes that might be in the context of, you need to see ENT within the next two weeks or your kid's going to have a painful infection and the antibiotics aren't working anymore. Go right now. Or sometimes it's more like, I'm not sure how next flu season is going to go. And, and you might want to put this on the calendar in three months so mm -hmm. that you're ready to address this need. And in communicating about it with the parent, we try to be intentional about conveying all the information the family needs to integrate this diagnosis or this need into the rest of their work. Janet mentioned, uh, you know, going home and Googling. I think we all do that today. Let's be honest. We all do it today. And certainly information is power. You want patients and families to have information. And uh, there's a lot of stuff on the internet. There's a lot of scary stuff on the internet. There's a lot of inaccurate stuff on the internet. There's a lot of downright unsafe, damaging advice on the internet. So what do you want parents to know about, um, you know, using the internet to look for information, to look for support? How can you use it as a, a tool that's going to be helpful and not harmful? It's a great question. I, I mean, I think one very practical step you can take is to look at the source. You know, is it a validated website? You know, a lot of really large organizations like the American Academy of Pediatrics or the American Allergy Association or Orthopedic Association, they have websites chock full of information that is written by experts in the space. It has a date on it. Sometimes there are references links. That information is probably going to be a lot more uh, reliable than, say, somebody's blog or something you see um, that might be on a website where maybe they're trying to sell their coaching services or their supplements. Um, so you just have to be really cognizant of what the source is for your information. That said, I have had a lot of families have great utility um, that they find in their local Facebook groups of communities of parents, mm -hmm. because, you know, what you're looking for from these local resources is not necessarily information about your child's diagnosis and facts about their health and well-being, but it might be uh, which pharmacy can handle doing this on every month and not mess up uh, or, or where can I find, you know, shoes that'll fit the braces uh, that my kid has to wear in them. And is there a good store for, for this or a babysitter or a tutor or these local resource groups can be very valuable uh, mm -hmm. for some things. So it's not to say that you, you know, you can't use the internet. You certainly can. And there's also a lot of community that comes from these, these resources. But, you know, sometimes the people who are spending the most time on these websites might be people who have been through their own trauma. You know, you don't know everything about them. their right. situation might be really different than your child's situation. So if you are leaving those websites feeling more anxious or more worried, that's a question like the risk benefit ratio to you of spending time on them. There is benefit to not feeling isolated in whatever the diagnosis is. Another aspect of this, which you talk about in your book is when and how do you talk with your child? And I know it's age appropriate, but when do you bring them into the, into the decision-making circle and how do you share information with them in a way that they don't feel scared? Yes. You know, I think it, I think it's really important. It's again, one of these things that we have previously just 
ask parents to kind of figure out on their own without yeah. any guardrails is like a complex task to communicate a child's diagnosis to them in a way that makes sense. So you mentioned the developmental aspect of it. I think um, parents may hesitate too long to tell their children things and that children have a right to know things about their body and their and their day and their plan. And so I would say that you should as much as possible include kids in the conversation. You don't want to scare them. And sometimes they don't need as much detail as we might think, you know, mm. just to say something along the lines of like, you know, you've been having problems with whatever the symptom is, you know, maybe, maybe you, you've been having a lot of tummy aches. And so we're going to see some specialists who are going to help us make a plan. Like that might be enough information for a child. And you certainly don't want to necessarily get too in the weeds with things that might happen in the future. Like what might you need a surgery? Might you need um, take a medicine for a long time? You know, these sort of abstract far away things may add more anxiety to your child's life than help them feel more informed and and part of the conversation. So I, I think to focus on following your child's lead about what they're interested in or curious about and what they need to know as it's affecting their life and making sure they know that there's hope and there's resources. And sometimes we don't know things, but we'll figure it out together. And that's part of why we keep going to talk to specialist or, or get evaluations or tests done so we can get more answers and we'll, we'll we'll be there every step of the way for them in that process. It's very similar to the advice actually that we give for all the talking about tough stuff, talking about sex, for instance, right? Follow the child's lead, developmentally appropriate, just enough information. And certainly each child is different. There are some kids you are going to need to share more information with because that's how they cope with the world. They want to know those things. There are other kids where you can just say, hey, we're going to have a doctor help you out with your tummy issues. And they're good with that for right now. So it's very individual. And so much of this is parents being in tune with their child, which is really hard to do, Kelly, when at the same time, you have so much anxiety and concern, and it's all spinning through your head. Uh, talk a little bit about the parent side and what parents can do to help take care of themselves as they're navigating this path that they probably didn't think they were going to be on. You know, I, I would use the example because it comes up all the time of a child who who has anxiety that's interfering with their functioning. Maybe they can't mm -hmm. separate well or sleep well, or they're not enjoying play dates or activities as much because um, the anxiety is preventing their participation. Now, as a parent, you automatically feel maybe like it's your fault, or maybe you're anxious, and did you pass this on to them somehow? And um, the word anxiety and a mental health diagnosis has implications, and you worry, like, is this going to require medication? Is this going to be lifelong? You are dealing with all this. And so you you know, you have to kind of cope with and deconstruct some of that narrative. One of the things that I talk about in the book is encouraging parents to speak to themselves like they would speak to a friend. And sometimes mm -hmm. saying some of these things out loud, like, no, your parenting did not cause your child, your child's anxiety. 
parenting techniques might be part of the solution to help your child, but that doesn't mean you did anything wrong. You know, maybe you passed on a tendency to be anxious to your child, but maybe that also is a tendency to be motivating and, you know, and, and to have drive and to be passionate about what you, what their interests are. And there's good stuff with that too. And so sometimes when you, when you talk through those big feelings that every parent has, it will make it easier to communicate with our kids. And the wonderful thing about this generation of children is that they are being raised in a culture that has like a lot less stigma and more acceptance than the culture we grew up in. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, you, you know, I actually have a problem in my practice of kids over-reporting mental health stuff because anxiety is just like a part of their lexicon. And when a child gets a diagnosis of, of anxiety disorder or ADHD or anything like this, generally speaking, there's always exceptions. They're not shy about it at all. They want to tell everybody and it's they own it as part of their identity and they don't really see... I think sometimes parents and caregivers, sometimes we worry more than is necessary um, mm. for, for about these things. Yeah, because that's the generation we were raised in. And Jen and I have commented on here before about when we were growing up, anxiety, when I was growing up, I'm a little older than she is, but anxiety, we never even used that word. And now our kids, as you said, are so familiar with it. And do they really understand what it means. Maybe, maybe not, but it's definitely common. I want to ask you a question. This kind of goes back to bringing kids into medical decisions. I'm a family coach and I told a client, I would be sure to ask you this question. Her son is diagnosed with ADHD and he needs to take his medicine and he's 13 and he doesn't want to. What do you, how do you counsel parents and children about medicine refusal. We'll be back after a short pause for these messages from our sponsors to answer this very common question about kids refusing to take their medicine. I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash on boys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. 
I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me. So I'm 51. She's 41. And she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, Increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. Telehealth, you can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit. With free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time, your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A dot com slash ONBOYS. Winona, menopause care made easy. You know, this is a really common issue, um, and and especially once kids are over the age of six to eight, you can't just make them, you know? You cannot, like, tie them down and push it down their throat. It's not appropriate. So you end up having to do what, what I call motivational interviewing with the child about identifying why they don't want to take it, listening to their concerns, understanding where there might be a shared interest in taking it. I've had a lot of kids with ADHD that just don't like the way the medicine makes them feel. And sometimes you need to honor that and consider other medications if there's a side effect that's problematic, assuming that that's not the case. Um, Sometimes while parents and teachers might want a child to be on the medication for academics. Sometimes uh, kids don't care so much about academics, but they do care perhaps about friendships and sports and other things. And they care about feeling good about themselves and having self-esteem. And so sometimes if you can, if you can help the child identify ways in which they feel the medicine is helping them and to pay attention to, what is what is the part of taking the medicine that's okay and that helps and that they like then they can um they can tap into what will motivate them to take it mm-hmm. on a regular basis because because maybe it will be that like I, I do notice that when I'm on my meds my friends 
want to spend more time with me because mm. I'm less impulsive and interrupting them less. And, and it, it is important to me to have my friends like me. So maybe, maybe that's the reason that I will continue taking it. I want to expand that a little bit because certainly, I mean, ADHD is a huge issue and certainly this is a concern. It applies to all kinds of things. Asthma med, um, parents that have kids who have type one diabetes and need to take their insulin and they don't want to, or they don't want to follow their diet. Let's, let's broaden it to some of those things. Because if I have a kid who has diabetes, I am legitimately concerned that this child may die if they don't follow their medication regimen. And as you said, at a certain point, especially if I have a 16 year old son, I can't hold him down and, and force him to do this. Yes. It, you know, I spend a lot of time working with children with type 1 diabetes and asthma. And so I definitely understand this concern. So one of the things that makes this transition of care so difficult is that as a parent, you lose control. And that's, that's difficult un- with parenting kids as they age anyway, that loss of control. And when you add in a health issue, and it has literally been your job, for a decade or more, you have a very active role to play in keeping your child alive. That's a scary thing to lose control of. It, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. But this is why when when you you have the luxury the luxury of time, we have to start teaching our children about what's expected of them in taking care of their themselves, their ownership over their health conditions as soon as we can. You know, so if it's a child with, with type one diabetes who may have had it since elementary school, the sooner we can educate them about it and the sooner they can participate and own their care, in some ways, the easier that transition will be because you'll have a longer period as a parent of being a supervisor rather than a doer. I think we think about it in our heads as like, I own it as a parent and then they own it. But the truth is that most children need years of us supervising them doing it and coaching them and monitoring them and motivating them. And that period is one that often parents try to kind of skip over because um, normally what happens when you do transition them to having more responsibility you know, the first week or two where now they're doing it on their own, they're like, this is cool. My mom's not hounding me anymore. And it goes really well. But then, you know, then it stops going well because uh, it's no longer novel and it's no longer like a new fun thing. Any adult who's had to take meds chronically for their own health conditions will tell you it's hard. Even adults are horrible at it. And you forget sometimes, and that's part of the process. And as a parent, uh, we're very inclined to freak out anyway. <laughs> so I can see that going pretty badly. Yes. So so it's about helping our children to build a system that they can use for the longer term and monitor, you know, setting up phone alarms, setting up the household. So, you know, they have to step right over the medicine they have to take before they leave in the morning. So it's like right in their face to remember having us check in every week about how many pills are gone or the pharmacy refill schedule. We're mm-hmm. still getting refills as often as we should be, um, but we're going through that medicine, you know, so that, that supervision step uh, has a lot of like logistics to it. But the part that's more uh, difficult for most parents than the logistics is uh, the stress part, right? And the acceptance 
that your child might be like a little worse than you at managing their condition. Yeah. Because they probably are a little worse, right? And they may have preferences that you don't agree with. I've had kids with type one diabetes who, um, who, you know, don't want to wear a pump at school because it's inconvenient for them. And so they end up doing a, a different insulin schedule than they've done in the past where the parent has to decide if they're going to let that, their child like have that control and make that decision, even if it comes at a cost or not. Yeah. But at some point we want to, we want to step back as parents and no longer be the deciders and the doers and let our children interface directly with their doctors about a plan and then help keep them accountable to that plan. Because we um, we can ask the medical team to own some of this, right? Educating the child, troubleshooting with the child. And say, say your child says like, no, I don't want to do this. Then say, okay, here's the phone. Call and schedule a follow-up appointment and come up with a different plan for how you're going to manage this condition. And then, you know, maybe at that visit, you go with your child, but you sit back and you kind of wait. Tell the doctor what you told me about how you're not wanting to do the plan you we had previously established and like maybe the doctor can come up with a plan to address it another way and then like let it unfold you know it's easy to get caught up in the medical aspect of whatever is going on and certainly that matters your child's physical and mental health matters but parents if you pull back you know what kelly is saying is all just regular parenting developmental stuff whether your child has a complex health condition needs to take medication needs some kind of mental health treatment at some point we all have to step back let our kids step forward take ownership of their life make some mistakes along the way even if we can see from eight billion miles away how that might play out and we we want to protect them this is parenting and so whether your child has this health condition or not, it's a part of what you need to do to help your child become an independent human being. And it's better in some ways that they try and struggle with this while they're in middle school and high school and and you have a little more control and a little more visibility. I have seen a lot of children with chronic conditions whose parents kind of manage it for them and then they go off to college and you can't really manage mm -hmm. it for them anymore or that you know they they go to a summer program and it, so a child can while it might be bad in the short term and their child your child's asthma or diabetes might you know for four to six weeks be less controlled because they're making bad decisions while they're waiting to meet with the doctor in the long run they might learn a an important lesson about how to communicate and advocate for themselves that then when they do leave the nest there, they've, they've had some muscle memory for how to do this. The other thing that enters in here as we're working with our children is the guy code and the societal messaging that our boys especially get of you got to be strong. You can't hurt. You can't complain because you have to be tough and strong. So how would you specifically address boys or parent and parents of boys to kind of navigate through this, this, this societal messaging that is so prevalent? I'm so glad you bring that up because, you know, I've 
I, I always talk to parents about like uh, helping our children develop an emotional vocabulary that they can use. But I do find that it's especially important for parents of boys at, at younger ages, mm -hmm. helping them to say, I'm mad, I'm sad, I'm disappointed, I'm frustrated, like just to develop the vocabulary and the fluency around talking about these things is important. And, and to give them the space to be like, yeah, I don't want to take my, it, if they have that vocabulary, when they say, I don't want to take my medicine anymore, I don't, I don't like it then they can add a layer. I don't like that it makes me sad every day when I have to take it. I don't like that, uh, you know, I'm embarrassed about having to take it in front of my friends or whatever it is. Because if they have that emotional literacy of being able to identify and talk about their feelings, you know, they can communicate on a more sophisticated level. And, and that's a gift. But it takes um, allowing them the space to to have feelings, like to be sad or to be mad and to like that we expect them sometimes to, to to cry and to be sad and to be human, that they're not supposed to just be strong all the time. That can be hard for our parents. And we've talked about this before. You know, we, if you think about it, you're like, why is this so triggering to me? Why is this bothering me so much? Oh, oh, we have work sometimes to do around letting our boys have feelings, letting them express feelings. So much of this is hard anyway. Our focus is boys because we're on boys podcast. You know, you want to fit in with the guys. And so often fitting in with the guys may mean playing sports, depending on where you are. And depending on what you have going on, that may or may not be a realistic option for you. So there's the physical piece of whatever the health challenges. And then there's helping your son navigate the emotional challenges and the social challenges. And that can be, let's be, let's be straight up honest. It's often neglected in our healthcare system because there's just not time to do all of it. I think that boys struggle just as much as girls with having a challenge that somehow separates them from the rest of their friends and cohort. Mm -hmm. What I've seen is that when girls feel excluded by their social network for whatever reason, they're they are not shy about it. They have big feelings and they let their teachers and parents know about their big feelings and it's not subtle. But what, what I've seen is that when boys go through the same thing, they're more likely not to talk about it. They're more likely to become uh, really grumpy and angry and withdrawn or or whether, you know, they, they show you in different ways. And so it requires a parent to be a little bit of a detective to kind of identify where those, where that behavior is coming from and why. And sometimes, you know, with a girl, we might not think of, um, they'll, they'll tell us about being excluded, but a boy won't always do that. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me. So I'm 51. She's 41. And she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Mm -hmm. Deal with it. 
And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. Telehealth, you can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit with free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time. Your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A.com slash ONBOYS. Winona, menopause care made easy. Becoming a bit of a detective is so important. Uh, Janet, I know that's something that you talk about with your coaching clients. You know, the the grumpy, angry, withdrawn can result from many, many, many things. And trying to get to the root of that is challenging and yet very worthwhile. Got to get curious. Get curious and ask the questions. Absolutely. I'm curious about how you advise families to work with siblings. So, mm-hmm. you know, their siblings affected by this diagnosis too. And they could be older, they could be younger, but they're definitely going to feel like, oh, he's getting more attention or I'm not able to do that thing because we've got to go to the hospital. How can parents kind of soften this with the siblings and help siblings be on board too, I would imagine with what's going on. It's another thing that parents have to have to figure out, right? So I think one important step for this is acknowledging that maybe as a parent, you can't always be everything to, to all of your children. And that sometimes for, especially if you have one child who's really uh, in, a, in a significant challenge, you might need help from somebody else to appropriately meet the siblings needs, whether that's a neighbor or a grandparent or a, or your co-parent or a school counselor. But I think parents often feel like there's limited resources, limited time, limited attention. And, and that's true. And so that's all the more reason to bring in others to support your family um, and to show them that their needs matter in that way that like, you know, I think it's important that you have somebody to talk to about this. And if you don't want to talk to me about it, like, well, why don't you talk to your coach about it or whoever it is? Sometimes these siblings, it it's really good for them. And, and in the moment for a parent, it, it feels like it's just taking away and it's a negative thing to have your energy diverted to a child facing a challenge that's got to be bad for a child who's over here. But but the sibling of cho- uh, siblings of children whose 
who who are in this situation, they often develop a lot of empathy, a yes. moral compass, like a deep understanding of like what makes a good person and what 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 humanity is. Um, they know often how hard their parents are working, and they see they see that. Um, and so many siblings who go through this often grow up to have better caregiving skills themselves and 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 all of these positives too so i i think a lot of times parents feel guilty but just to remember that sometimes it can be a great learning experience and growing experience for a child to to have this we just want to also protect um their childhood by by you know using resources to let them have some time away from the challenge I think we need to make sure this is true for siblings in any situation, but especially when there's a, a challenging uh, mental health or physical health situation or any crisis within a family, right? It's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to be angry about it and to give kids space to um, express that and work through that because listen, I might love my brother and I may want to help him. And I may, you know, have all this empathy most of the time, but sometimes I hate him and it has to be okay to say that. Yes. I, I do find that sometimes it's adultifying uh, to the yeah. siblings that sometimes because we expect them to, to mature quicker out of need. Um, but, but it's right. true that they are still kids and they are still figuring this out and, and they're still going to have bad days or bad times and they may have negative feelings and that's okay. It doesn't mean that they don't love their sibling if they're really mad that they can't go do the thing they want to do because they're sibling today. You know, one of my kids, uh, he's 20 now, but he has had migraines for a long time and has had a lot of, you know, I mean, he's had to deal with that and it's, it stinks and had to deal with doctors and school and work and all of that. And would I wish that for him? Absolutely not. No parent wants their child to be in pain or have inconveniences. But I'll say this, at 20, he knows how to work the healthcare system a whole lot better than most 20-year-olds. And these are essential skills. You know, whether you have a chronic condition or not, everybody's going to have to interact with the healthcare system at some point. And that is a whole specific skill set that many of us don't think to teach our kids until they're out of the house and they're calling us going, what do I do? That, that literacy is a gift. It's interesting. It's one of the things I observed that motivated me to write advanced parenting is that the second time a parent is confronted with it, it's much easier than the first or whatever it is, right? Like if one, one kid had food allergies and then the next kid has has asthma it's like wait okay so i so i know i need a specialist for this and i need a pharmacy and i need you know yeah a, a note for the school and like it, you at least have a framework in place but that first time of figuring it out is something that no one teaches us nope hard here is my big question that i have to ask before we let you go you are a complex pediatrician that is a very demanding job you have two children also a very demanding job and when did you write this book, Kelly? How did you fit that in on top of all the other things that you're doing? Uh, th this is a good question. It has been a tough, a tough year for my husband. He's had to step up a little with uh, the cooking and the childcare because, um, you know, I think what, what the truth is, is that when you're like passionate about a project, you kind of make it work. 
And uh, this is a topic that I felt passionately about that I think is really important. I wanted to do something to better support parents in these situations. And so, like I fit it in at night and on the weekends, and I brought my laptop to my daughter's ballet class and like typed away on it. Um, and and it, it it's got it maybe could it have been better if it was my full time job being a writer probably, but you know what, it got done and it's out there, and I hope I hope it connects with people and helps them. What aspect of your book have we not touched on? You know, the the only thing we haven't really touched on is is some of the framework for picking your priorities because. I think we talked about how parents have to cope with the stress and you have to teach your child skills so that you have a transition um, in care. But but what we didn't talk about is like how you make cho- hard choices and how you make a plan. And and there's a lot of conflict within families about, about uh, children with challenges because maybe one parent sees it differently than another parent or the child sees it differently than the parent. Um, and so one thing I talk about in there is like, thinking about from everyone's perspective as you make a plan to make sure it's a plan that makes sense to everyone. Because often if you get to the root of what everybody in your family's priorities are, you can anticipate where those conflicts are going to come from and and make a plan that's better suited uh, to prevent those kinds of conflicts. So that, that's in there too. That sounds really, really valuable because the whole problem with families is they are composed of multiple people who by definition are different and have different thoughts. And it's it's tempting to just bulldoze over somebody like, I got this, I'm in charge of this, we're doing it my way. You will end up in conflict. So I appreciate you telling us about that. That sounds like a good reason to pick up the book right then and there, just for <laughs> that section. And as you're saying that, I'm thinking, and then there's the aunties and the grandparents that chime in their own opinions as well. And that adds another layer of stress, unless they're being just helpful, that's great. But when there's opinions shared or, you know, the classic thing of, oh, well, my child had that thing and here's what I did, which is not helpful. Um, So being yeah and communicating with all these people is part of the workload right so when you're making a plan that has to be part of the plan is how you're going to keep the babysitter up to date on the medication schedule if they're part of this or how are you going to let the teachers know what side effects to monitor for and how do you communicate with the school and all that stuff so so there's a lot there's a lot in there I think this is a book that families should just get and have on their bookshelves in their house because odds are somebody in your family is going to be dealing with something at some point. Odds are overwhelming. That's going to be the case. So just get the book, have it. It would be a great gift for friends as well. Mm -hmm. The book is Advanced Parenting, How to Help Kids Through Diagnoses, Differences, and Mental Health Challenges. And Kelly, I believe that you have a a website that is kind of like home base for all of your stuff. Tell us a little about that. Yes, uh, kellyfradenmd.com is my website. And I'm on Instagram too, under advice I give my friend. Okay, stuck. Love it, love it. Kelly, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and advice. And as Jen said, get the book. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. We hope that all of you are healthy, that your children are healthy. And it is awesome to know that there is a resource such as Dr. Kelly Fraden's book.
This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of boysalive.com. Thanks for being here. Please share this with a friend if you have found this valuable. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.